Hi, entrepreneurs. It's Steph here. And I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entreprenista Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We will be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th. And you were definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions. This is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. I've been a little bit timid about my own social media. I think I just, you know, it's probably just building my confidence and getting comfortable putting myself out there but I can barely post an Instagram story. The idea of going on Instagram live with you know, 50,000 followers. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. So I did it. Now seems like a good time that I could maybe reach out to some of my female founder heroes who I really look up to. And in our first week, we had uh, Piera Luisa Gilardi, the co-founder of Refinery29. We had Sophia Amoruso, Rebecca Minkoff. We had B. Dixon, the founder and CEO of Honeypot. And by the end of the spring, we had Ariana Huffington, Lo Bosworth, Haley Duff, so Aya Kanai, who's the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire. So it really kind of turned into a thing, and honestly, it would be the highlight of my day. It would just be having this, this FaceTime interview every day. The extra verve of the added touch. In other words, the art of living well a value that Abigail Cookstone's mother passed down to her and that informs all aspects of Otherland, a lifestyle candle brand with a strong focus on art and storytelling. Growing up, Abigail cultivated a love for candles and the power they had in setting a mood, but she was always frustrated by the price tag. When she launched Otherland, she wanted to offer a candle experience that was elevated and aesthetically pleasing without breaking the bank. You're about to hear how Abigail worked with a branding studio to make her dream a reality and her early days of raising capital. Fast forward to today, Abigail shares stories from this past unprecedented year, including how her customers started gravitating towards nostalgic scents. Think holiday-inspired candles in April, and how she has expanded her community by hosting weekly Instagram live shows. Abigail also gives us tips on how to make the most of your space during lockdown by creating an ambiance on the weekends and switching it up. Coming up, you'll hear about Abigail's early love for upscale candles, but her frustration at the steep price tags, the early days as an art buyer for Ralph Lauren, and how she chose to get her MBA at Columbia to pivot her career. How Abigail learned to make candles in her apartment and a long summer of hustle trying to raise capital for her brand, her experience working with Red Antler, and how they turned her dreams into a reality, the origins of the extra verve of the added touch, and how this informs everything Otherland represents today, how COVID-19 has impacted her brand and her decision to release nostalgic holiday scents in the spring of 2020. 
Abigail's best tips on making the most of your space and setting different ambiances for different times of the week, her key to work-life balance, and finally, for all of you New Yorkers listening, Abigail shares where you can get the best croissant in New York City. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Abigail, we are so excited to sit down with you this afternoon and learn about your entrepreneurista story and journey. You started Otherland Candles, but being a candle maker was not your background. What inspired you to start Otherland? Totally. So Otherland is a home fragrance brand pioneering a unique approach to the at-home experience. So I've been mildly obsessed with candles for my whole life. And when I was in my 20s, I found myself really burning them every day. So I'd do my morning meditation. I'd use the Headspace app, light a candle. I'd come home from work, plop down on the couch, turn on the TV and light a candle. And now it would be me time. And so I guess it, I sort of realized it was passing this so-called toothbrush test of everyday use for me and talking to my friends. So many of them felt the same way. And I realized that there just wasn't a brand for me. So I loved the luxury brands with these fresh, sophisticated scents, beautiful packaging, but they were so expensive that if you could even afford to buy one, you'd be terrified to burn it. Like, you know, you'd save it for special occasions. So that's one end of the spectrum. And on the other end were these more affordable brands, but super sugary, artificial sweet scents, you know, the pumpkin pecan waffles. And that just wasn't for me either. And, and very sort of cutesy, lackluster design. So I identify that there's this white space in the middle and that with a price point around 30 to $36, we could create a brand and actually work with those same perfumers as, as the luxury brands, but make them much more accessible. And then I also, so my background is in art. So I studied art history in, in college, and then I became actually an art buyer for Ralph Lauren. So what that meant is I was buying the art to decorate their stores and showrooms. Yeah, which is cool. My last project was the Polo Bar here in New York City, um, the restaurant. So I had this art background and I really thought that with candles, you know, I'm seeing it as a candle as a consumable experience. It's got scent, but we could really do something more with design to work with different artists to tell the story of each candle, each scent, and each collection. And so that was sort of really my, my big idea. And that would also help us be, uh, to sell scent online. And so helping customers get over that hurdle of not smelling before purchasing, bringing the artwork in to help tell that story and create an emotional connection that inspires them to purchase. It's also helped us with Instagram and having a whole unboxing experience. I can show you a little bit here. This is our holiday collection. 
but we've got thank you so this whole artistic story here and then it goes on to the candles and we do matches and so forth so that's really been a focus of ours so realized that it was a huge market i had an opportunity to create a modern brand with a focus on art and incorporating storytelling and digital community building and then after i met sayed sayed markar who's my co-founder and actually boyfriend so we met at columbia business school and so we we realized that this was an opportunity and and otherland was born so just about 3 years ago it'll be 3 years on december 12th Oh, Mr. Birthday <laughs> or anniversary. Exactly. Exactly. So when you told him the idea, did you partner together right away on this? Did he get really excited as well? Yeah, so good question. So I told him about it and you know, he was he wasn't really into candles before, but he had started to to get into it. So he was actually working for, do you know, Dia and Co? Sounds familiar. Anyway, it's it's an amazing female-founded brand. So it's a plus-size women's apparel and sort of a similar model to Stitch Fix. So he was working at Dia and Co and so he was sort of behind the scenes kind of helping me in formulating this idea and looking at the unit economics and thinking about a business plan. And he also became um and my tester co-pilots. So I to really first learn about the candle market, I went out and I bought as many candles as I could from all different brands, the high-end ones, low-end ones, everything in between to smell them, to burn them and test just to learn. And then I decided I was going to learn to make candles. So this meant that we were in this tiny living together in a 250 square foot apartment in the West Village with its tiny kitchen, six floor walk up. So it was really transformed for about Four months into a candle laboratory, so I found I could buy a melting pot on Amazon and the wax chips and all sorts of different scents. So we could barely use the kitchen for for that time, but I learned how to make candles, and that's how I discovered things like the wick. It's not one wick fits all. You've got to optimize the grade of the wick and the size of the fibers based on the particular molecules in the fragrance. If there are more natural molecules, you need a looser braid. So things like this that really helped me that when I was ready to make that first move and reaching out to manufacturers that I felt like I had some knowledge under my belt that that could help me feel more comfortable talking to them. When you were at Columbia Business School, did you have this yeah. idea while you were there or did you go to business school with this idea and you wanted to, you know, build it out as part of your schooling? Sure. So, I went to Columbia really feeling deeply inside me that I was a builder and I wanted to build a company. but i didn't really know where to start i didn't have that big idea yet and so I, you know i'm transitioning from buying the artwork for ralph lauren into into business so that was a big jump so really needed those 2 years to really build my network was a huge one and delve into the world of startups so i actually worked for a venture capital fund called founder collective and so we were meeting with all these direct to consumer brands every day and and that's how i sort of first dipped my toe into that world and and learning from them and just felt so inspired and so it was about a i worked there for about a year while going to school and in my last semester i i had an idea for another startup so the idea that was called 
HQ, your subscription headquarters. And it was going to be a, a tech platform where all of your subscriptions are sort of organized into one platform. You can edit and pause and cancel. Wait, I love that idea. What happened? I know. <laughs> well, so it's, a, I mean, not only was it sort of not the perfect fit for me because I do love interiors and experiences and art, but also I think when I learned that when it comes down to it from a security perspective, it's actually better that all of those things are decentralized, that there really isn't one login that you can access everything from. So that was, you know, that took a little bit to figure out, but with that idea, HQ, I'd gotten into Columbia's greenhouse program, which is their incubator for your final semester at school. And sort of mid-semester, I remember saying to the professors, I was like, guys, you know, HQ, we made some progress, but I've really just been thinking about candles so much. And I feel like this might be the big idea. It's, it's a better fit for me. I think, you know, I'm not technical and, and not that you have to be technical to be the founder or co-founder of a tech company, but at least one of the two of you do, you do. So I started pursuing candles at that point. So it was really in the last couple months of school that the idea came together and, and evolved from there. And did you know right away that you were going to have to raise funding or did you try bootstrapping before you raised? So I did know from the beginning I was going to have to raise something. A lot of the feedback that I got early on in those first couple months of pitching, everybody said to me, there are literally a million candle brands out there. Why do you think the world needs another candle brand? And, you know, I had my pitch and everything, but still like I felt like people didn't quite get the whole vision with the artwork and the different editions and the, the storytelling and so forth. So I really felt like we needed to invest in branding. And it's a personal decision for every founder. And some companies, you know, really don't need a big investment in it from the beginning in branding and the product design. I felt like to differentiate, we really did. And so that meant raising capital for, yes, the brand work, the product design, industrial design for the packaging, and then also to create this digital experience that was really going to be pioneering in being a digital first candle fragrance brand. So few of the fragrance brands that are out there have are digital first. I mean, it's, it's almost none of them. And so they're really used to selling through retailers and not having to focus on that direct to consumer connection. So needed money to do that, I knew. But I thought, you know, I'm going to graduate from Columbia and I'm going to raise all of this money in the first two months of the summer and we'll be off to the races. And that did not happen. I just remember, so still in that same apartment, I had my away suitcase that I would fill with all of those candles that I had bought out from the market. Because, you know, when you're, when you're pitching early on, you don't have a product yourself. You at least want something to, to show to people to sort of get them to smell and, and interact. So I would be hauling this suitcase filled with candles up and down six flights of stairs, just sweating all summer. And it, nobody said yes. So it wasn't until a family friend in August ended up making a, an investment and that allowed us to do the beginning of our branding work with Red Antler. And they also invested through some equity for some of the services. And as soon as we really started to bring that vision to life with the early drafts of the branding and product design, then people started to get the vision and see how this is different. It's not the same old candle brand and to see the opportunity there. 
So Red Antler was a key, I think, partner for us to bring in early on. I definitely want to know about your experience with Red Antler. But before we get to that, we often hear from women on the podcast that they didn't go to business school. Knowing what you know now, would you have still went to business school? So I totally think it was a great choice for me. Again, I was looking to transition careers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do that and to really explore what, what you want to do and, and exactly where to go when you're in a full-time job. It's different for everyone. But for me, I, I really needed the expansion of my network was huge. I didn't know anyone who worked in a startup before. And I needed to kind of rebrand myself as someone in the startup community and get sort of a, a leg in that way. It, the startup community is, is very community focused. And we're always doing coffee chats and meeting people and well, meeting people in real life last year. But it's definitely community oriented. So I needed to, to segue. And Red Antler has a very interesting business model. I'd love to know how you got connected to them and what your experience was like. Yes. So I had long admired Red Antler and they were really at the top of my list for who I wanted to work with. One of the co-founders, Emily Hayward, she had done an early Skillshare class right when Skillshare first launched and it was all about branding. And I remember secretly listening to this while I was at my old job and I would sort of toggle back and forth on the screen and write down notes about how to create your brand. So I was aware of them and had really admired them for a long time. And it was in that final semester, Micah, my boss from Founder Collective, connected me with JB. And so I, I didn't even have a one pager at that time on, on the idea, but I went and met with him. I brought some of those homemade candles and I had, I had made friends with his assistant and had been able to get some red antler stickers. So I personalized the candles with his initials and, and some red antler branding. And it's just little things like that when you're starting out, sort of little hacks to, to put something together to, to get someone's attention that I think really works. So, so that's it. And then we had several meetings more. They don't immediately invest and they've got a great business development team who looks at you and the category and, and so forth. So we really built a relationship over several months before we really dove in formally to an agreement. And what was the process like working with them and building your brand? Because you had this vision yeah. and idea in your head of what you wanted it to be. And then you were relying on them to, you know, take that and turn it into a reality. Totally. So I, in the spectrum of how involved founders are, I was very involved. So I came in with so many ideas. I had so many Pinterest boards. And actually on the kickoff of our of our first meeting, I brought in two giant foam core mood boards that I had, you know, gone to Kinko's and printed out all these pictures for. I had I bought all of those candles from the market that I'd been toting around all summer. And then I brought three pounds of clementines. And so here's where the clementines came from. So our original name is Verve. So Verve Labs Inc. And that came from an expression that my mom had, which is the extra verve of the added touch. So that comes from my mother's expression, which is the extra verve of the added touch. So the extra verve of the added touch is all about this little bit of extra effort you put into something that takes it from good to great and elevates the everyday. And the example that I often use would be when you get clementines and they come in that mesh bag or a crate, you put the 
clementines in a bowl. It's not too fussy, it's not Martha Stewart, but it just creates this little moment of beauty. And it's very much this ethos of living your life, creating these small moments for yourself that you can enjoy and savor. It's part of the art of living well. And so, so yes, it's, it's been my personal mission, I think, to share that ethos with the world through Otherland and certainly the ins- part of the inspiration for, for founding it. So I brought all of these items with me for our kickoff, a very interactive kickoff meeting, and the design team was great. I mean, I had the best experience working with their team, and we're still very close with, with everyone from our team. And so you get, there are two brand strategists who help with a lot of the ideation around the personality and, and our, we did a renaming and, and a copy and so forth. Then you've got a team of graphic designers. We had a team of industrial designers, web designers, art directors. And so it's so great that it's very multidisciplinary there. And you've got everyone in the room working together and talking about, you know, here we've got this motif on our, the, our candle lids where we have these scent poems in gold. Well, on our, our website, on our core collection pages, you have those scent poems running through the collage design. So really comprehensive. And I loved it. But some of the things that you could see incorporated into our, our final brand design were I had this picture of, have you seen Picasso's light drawings? It's him like writing in light. So they've got sort of these beautiful loop-de-loops and so forth. And so that you can really kind of see here in our in our logo and in the script and, and the different loops there. But ultimately the brand ended up looking very different than I had expected from my initial mood boards, way better. And the team did a great, great job. How did you land on the name? Naming is so hard, right? It's, you've got to find a name that doesn't have a trademark on it. You've got to find a domain that, that is available or reasonably parked that you could acquire. And it's hard to see a brand name before it has the logo and design around it and the feeling. But they, they, Red Antler has a great process through which they do it. And so they presented me with, they had five name ideas. And Otherland was instantly my favorite. The other option that I really loved, and I still think this is a great name, was Mammal. So if you take Mammal and you have it in all capital letters, it really looks very beautiful. The repetition of the M and the A, it almost becomes very abstracted. But we didn't go with Mammal. Um, I I just clicked with Otherland. And so I, I love this idea of a candle really transforming your space and being a little bit of escapism. So what are all the places that our candles could take you to? Cozy land, dinner party land. And so that was really the what went into selecting that name. Coming up, you'll hear how COVID-19 has impacted Abigail and her team at Otherland and why they decided to release nostalgic holiday scents back in April. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, Dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there, but according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Farnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Farnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. 
and she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out, and failure, to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money, so you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entreprenista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entrepreneurista.com forward slash Founders Weekend and we will see you there. Abigail, with COVID, so many of us have had to pivot our business, our operations. How has COVID impacted your business over the past, what has it been, almost nine, 10 months now? No, I, I can't believe it's been that long. So it's impacted us in, in many ways from obviously the te- our team going remote and we were in the midst of a switch from, we used to do our own fulfillment operations and moving to a third party logistics provider at the beginning it was such a heartbreaking time. We were all terrified, sort of doing our best as a business to survive. And you just didn't know what was going to happen every day. And especially being in New York, it, it was it really weighed on you. What we saw pretty quickly uh, after lockdown was, so a couple of things. One would be this, this increase in joy-driven purchasing. So it's more than ever on social media, we saw our customers talking about how happy the unboxing experience and the candles were making them. So that was a big thing. And people are just craving, you know, being at home, wanting some sort of joy to be sparked and, and the candle, it's the perfect item to do that. Another thing we saw was an increase in off-season gifting. So usually, you know, around Mother's Day and, and Christmas, Valentine's Day, those are our big gifting occasions, but it really kind of blew up. So everyone was sending with these sweet notes, you know, a little bit of sunshine your way. I hope this brightens your day. Sort of everyone was collectively going through this experience together. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. We did ran out of inventory. You know, our, our manufacturer were made in America closed down. So we ran into significant inventory challenges. So we did something interesting in April. So we had been getting on Instagram a lot of requests for our holiday candles and in April. And I was totally perplexed by this. And I think I, I later realized it's because these holiday scents in particular are so nostalgic and comforting in that way. So we decided, you know what? We're basically out of stock in most of our other inventory. Let's listen to our customers and do, we called it a season swap, our first ever season swap. So we made our holiday inventory available for four days in April. And it was our biggest sales event other than, yeah, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. So we had to do sort of things like this to to survive, but we did, you know, we were donating 20% from all purchases to the food bank for, for New York, just trying to do as much as we could to support our community and sharing candles with nurses and other frontline workers. Another thing that we did at the beginning of COVID was, so Sayed, my co-founder and boyfriend, he said, I dare you to go live on Instagram Live for our customers. And I've been a little bit timid about my own social media. I think I just, you know, it's probably just building my confidence and getting comfortable putting myself out there. 
but I can barely post an Instagram story. The idea of going on Instagram live with you know, 50,000 followers, are you kidding me? I can't do that. But I decided to, to take the dare and we really just, you know, I wanted to connect with our customers and just share a little bit about what we were doing in, in our apartment and our lives. And so I did it. So it, it went well and decided, you know what, let's call this fireside chat. Now seems like a good time that I could maybe reach out to some of my female founder heroes who I really look up to. They may have a little more time on their hands now than before and might be willing to help a small business. So let's see if they'll accept an interview request. So I did that. And in our first week, we had uh, Piera Luisa Gilardi, the co-founder of Refinery29. We had Sophia Amoruso, Rebecca Minkoff. We had B. Dixon, the founder and CEO of Honeypot. And by the end of the spring, we had Ariana Huffington, Lo Bosworth, Haley Duff. So Aya Kanai, who's the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire. So it really kind of turned into a thing. And honestly, it would be the highlight of my day. It would just be having this this FaceTime interview every day. So we just hit our 100th episode uh, yesterday. Thank you. So that's been something totally new for us and just a great way to expand our community and, and evolve sort of this conversation around other land, but also self-care and learning about the founding stories of all of these amazing women. I love that you challenge yourself and put yourself outside of your comfort zone. Can you tell us about a time early on in your business where you had to do things that you've never done before? And I know probably every day you're, you're doing something like that. <laughs> totally. Every day. I mean, having a startup is one giant exercise in doing things you're not comfortable with yes. and, and operating in great uncertainty. Let me think something early on. I mean, there are just countless examples from going to visit a factory. And, you know, I think I showed up in my little sort of business outfit and I had these little patent leather short heels on and, you know, completely ridiculous in a factory or you're like walking over spilled wax and and all kinds of stuff, but getting comfortable, you know, talking about manufacturing and minimum order quantities and speaking up about things like, so what's your recycling plan? And what are your sustainability practices? How much do you pay all of your workers? And I think, you know, those are questions that need to be asked, especially, I think, with things around money, women and myself, I, I don't always feel tons of confidence talking about it. And that's something I've been working on. So getting comfortable asking those questions questions. And you know what, if someone doesn't like the answer, they'll let you know, but you just got to ask them. How big is your team now? And who was your first hire? Yeah. So our team is, so we're, we're a small team. So there are four of us and our first hire was someone to do social, social and content. And I think that was totally the right move, you know, with especially a direct to consumer brand. So so now we're sort of digitally native because we sell at uh, Sephora and Nordstrom. But when you launch your brand, you've been given this suite of assets for your website and you're sort of repurposing them onto Instagram. But the whole thing is you've got to you've got to post every day. You've got to evolve this conversation. You need to figure out a way to have this chit chat with your customers and prospective customers to start building that community and all the different nodes there through influencers and and so forth. 
So that is something that is, is just critical for brands now. So we brought in someone to work on that first. And so I, I totally would recommend that it should be someone in your founding team. So yeah. How did you find that person and what types of questions did you ask and do you still ask? Okay, so that's, it's a little bit of a funny story. So while I was at Founder Collective, the venture capital fund, I was beta testing for them a new app that they had invested in the founder's last company. And so this was his new company. And the idea was it was a social media sort of assistance service that you would have this virtual assistant who would help you to plan posts to inspire you, you know, to, to create the right shots, would send inspo shots, might help with your editing. So I was the first user of this app. Uh, it wasn't even an app at this point. It was just a, a text message. And so my consultant, quote unquote, was an intern they had from Vanderbilt, Lars. And so Lars is, is wonderful. So Lars and I were sort of texting every day as part of this trial and we became friends. And we finally met after she graduated from, from Vanderbilt and she knew all about other land at this point because I was, I was posting about making the candles in my kitchen and so forth. So we finally met and hit it off. And so she became our, our first hire. Oh, that's awesome. How have you managed to keep your company culture alive during this time? Oh, it's so hard right now. You know, it's it's just been so different. And we were definitely a close-knit team, and I miss seeing them in person so much. So we do a daily stand-up where we're on Zoom and just seeing everyone, just chit-chatting. And we do talk through you know, business stuff as well, but just to check in with everyone. We also, you know, in the office, we used to do things like bagel Thursdays and happy hours. So we've been trying to, you know, really celebrate virtually when we have a big win. So for example, so for our Sephora launch, we launched at Sephora at the end of October and we sold out in, I think it was 12 days. So we sent everyone a, a bouquet of, of flowers. We've also done stuff, you know, dinner on us tonight. So trying to bring in some sort of surprise and delight with our employees as well. And just keeping everyone, you know, connected with that, that daily standup and that consistency. Well, we sent you some digicards in your bag, so you can definitely use them with your team. Yes. Thank you so much. So, so much. Do you have any remote working tips to share things that you learned during this time that are, you know, working well for you, tools that you use? Remote working tips. Okay, let's see. I think, well, so right now in our apartment, our, we live in sort of your standard New York apartment that's two rooms. So there's a bedroom and then there's a living room slash dining room slash kitchen which is now slash gym slash office. So that we've got a, a Peloton bike in here and all kinds of stuff. But our dining room table, it's about 40 inches, has become our, our desk during the week. And so, you know, we've got this, this sort of work set up here. I think a big thing for me is, is switching it up on the weekends. So it's not, you know, it's not exactly a tip for the best way to remote work, but how to make the most of your space is you got to switch it up on the weekends. I'm really into tablescaping these days. And so I'm trying to make a little bit more of a fuss in creating an ambiance on the weekend that can help denote the difference between work and play. Trying to think of if there are any other things. I think just where you can adding like artful touches to your setting that 
that makes you happy. I definitely also light a candle when I work. I think that's a nice practice to kind of strike the match and ignite your intention around your productivity session, light it, getting to work. It's kind of your little desk side companion. So yeah, I love to have a little bit of whimsy at my desk as well. I want to know if you have any tips for working with your significant other. Oh boy, what what a question. So it's definitely been, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot just working together. It's a a lot living, working um, 24-7 in the same apartment together. So no, I mean, we've done a lot of work there to sort of figure out what works best and having really separate areas of the business that we focus on makes a huge difference. He does more operations, finance, performance marketing, and I'm product, customer experience, brand, social, PR. So keeping that as separate as possible, we each... I don't know, we take breaks and walk around the block during the day. And I think we we all try to plan things to look forward to that can kind of keep something going outside of work, but it's it's definitely hard. So yeah, I think just separating as much as you possibly can. And you know, sometimes he'll work in the bedroom and I'll be out here, but you, you need a little space sometimes. Up next, Abigail's best self-care hacks and the importance of cultivating the little moments that make you happy. I want to know, how do you sell your candles online without anyone getting to smell them? Great question. So the big thing for us is that we're sort of a visual first brand. So with my background in art, I really wanted to to bring that into the forefront of the candles by working with different artists on every collection with this expressive emotion stirring artwork. So part of our strategy there is where you can't buy with your nose. And, and of course, we know that scent is the number one purchasing driver of buying a candle. We really wanted to sort of juice it up for, for your eyes. So a delicious visual feast and also doing a lot with the photography and collage, creating these beautiful, over-the-top, very maximalist visions where you you just sort of fall in love. And so it's it's all about getting customers over that initial hurdle of, of not smelling before they buy, creating the emotional connection. And we do, you know, our candles, it's not called rose or grapefruit. It's all about this, this story. And I think that's something that's really differentiated us. So, yeah. And in terms of acquiring your first customers, what was your initial go-to-market strategy? Another great question. So I think you, you've got this beautiful website and brand and product and you launch and you expect, you know, the floodgates have opened and all of these customers are going to know you exist, find you and start purchasing. And it's just not how it works. I mean, you've got to really, really work to drive traffic to your website and then start working on these funnels to acquire the customers. So our initial marketing plan was to just have PR around our launch. And we really you know, quickly realized we needed to work on some other, other marketing plans. And I really didn't know a ton about performance marketing or really even traditional marketing. So we started to experiment with a little bit of paid social. It's been important for us and say it is very disciplined on this to not, you never want to be totally reliant 
on one marketing channel, especially with something like paid social. It can be easy to ignore everything else. If, if it's working, you keep pushing it. But when it, when it doesn't, when it changes, when the, when the cost to acquire the customers goes up, you really need to have some other, other channels going. So we've been careful to not ever over-index to one. But it's, it's definitely a big challenge when you launch. You've got to have a multi-pronged approach. And it takes time to build a brand. People have to hear about your brand from friends and read about it and see an influencer post and so forth. So it's going to take... Did you focus on working with influencers when you launched as well? We did very sort of organically. So we, we really don't do any paid influencer posts. So just gifted. I think that we're bombarded. Well, influencers are, they, they do so many posts these days. And so we just wanted to make sure that it was the right relationship that they really wanted to post about the product. So that's a strategy that's worked for us. I want to know, how do you balance your, I guess, personal life and, and, and business life? And you talked about it a little bit, but I would love to know if you have any more tips to share with anyone listening. So I think the truth is that there isn't a ton of balance. There's not a ton of separation. I mean, work, work and, and life are just interchanged for us. But I, I think you have to develop your own routines and habits and practices to, to get some space there. So I do try to stop working at a certain time during the day. And I've really gotten into cooking over the last six months. So really using that as a routine to wind down like so many other people. Um, I think there's been a big cooking renaissance. Um, Are you cooking a lot? My husband is. He got into the cooking and I've gotten into the eating. (laughs) I love love cooking. Love it. Totally. So I've really found a lot of, you know, that's been a a great outlet. So I think, you know, you do the best that you can do. And and sometimes there there are flows and sometimes you're working night and day. Right now we're in our crazy season, the third quarter of the year is where we do a lot of business with Campbell's. So right now is, is super intense. And I know that January 1st or, or really right after the holiday shipping cutoff ends, I will get a little bit more time to relax and we can plan something for them. So there's sort of seeing a, a light at the end of the tunnel, having something to look forward to can help a lot. What does self-care look like to you? So one of my favorite questions. So self-care to me I think it's really all about things that feel good and that are good for both short and and long term for my well-being. And so my self-care involves, I'd say, everything from talking to a therapist once a week on the phone, which has really helped me and something I I think, you know, if if there's someone who you can talk to that can really help in, in processing everything, to sometimes I do do a morning meditation and I've got my little meditation nook of our living room, dining room, kitchen, office, gym, which is, so it's basically, I've got a stack of coffee table books and some crystals and lots of plants on a windowsill. And I just move the chair from the desk to looking out the windowsill and do a short meditation with headspace is is my favorite exercise. I'm not the greatest exerciser, but I, I do enjoy exercise. Mostly, I, I love cycling. A little bit of running here and there, but uh, running is not my favorite. Also, things like I love croissants, and I've tried every croissant in the city of New York. You're talking to I, the other wait, lovers where, of croissants, too. Where yes. can we get the best croissants? So, okay, so I don't like the flavored ones that much, but I think Supermoon has the best plain croissants. They're every, have you been there before? No, I don't even know. Where is it? 
Oh my God. So it's like an Instagram sensation. So it's on the Lower East Side. It's Rivington and Essex. And so it's beautiful inside. And they do all of these like incredible flavors. Like you, we could create a whole candle line just with their filled croissants. But I'm really a purist and I, I prefer just the plain ones. But they, they lacquer kind of each layer and it's just perfectly crispy and flaky. I just found and- it here. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're really well done. And, and I'm I'm a snob about croissants. So part of my self-care is on Sundays, I get my grandmother's china out, beautiful plates with gold details. I go get my croissant, I get the paper, and I really enjoy myself. And it's all about sort of finding these moments that I I derive joy from and incorporating them into, I think, a daily practice. So it doesn't need to be this prescriptive thing where you have to meditate, you have to exercise, you have to do a sheet mask on your face. And it's all about cultivating these little moments that make you happy. So those are definitely elements. I'd also add sleep is something I'm constantly working on and trying to prioritize. I just got an aura ring, which is supposed to be a, one of the more advanced sleep trackers. And my my sleep is not quite as good as I thought it was. So there's some room to work there. And, you know, I do little things like pillow spray and, and so forth that kind of give a zen feeling. Well, you've just painted the perfect picture of a beautiful self-care routine, and I'm going to take notes on all of this, and I'm definitely going to try to order these croissants if they'll ship to Florida. It looks like they they ship in the area, but I'm going to see if they ship here. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think you have to wait till you're back because I'm, I am kind of a snob about this. If you ship it, Fresh. you're going to be eating it the next day. Yeah. You can't, you I, I can't do you. that. I yeah. You. The best croissants are right out of right the oven. Right out of the oven. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I yep. do miss the uh, Maison Kaiser, however you pronounce the yes. name. Of they do have very good croissants right out of the oven there. <laughs> very good. And then Epicerie Balloud is also good. What would you say is the accomplishment you're most proud of in your business? I think most recently our our team, our, so launching Otherland at, at Sephora was a pretty big dream come true and really represented everything that our team has gone through to get to this point, but especially in, since the beginning of COVID and just coming together as a team and everyone just works so hard with all of these little parts operationally, you've got to be, you know, EDI compliant, you've got to have the right UPCs and they have to be packed in a certain way. And the paper stock's got to be durable enough to get through the mail and their shipping container. So all of these little things and our, our team just has done beautifully and worked so hard. So that, that means so much and especially in, in this environment that we're in. Have you read any good books this year? Yes, I brought one. So I wish I read a little bit more than I've had the time to, but I have some plans over a Christmas vacation to, to read more. This is a great book called Trading Up and it's all about, by Michael Silverstein, and it's all about consumer psychology and around women, I think sort of wanting more and trading up and so forth. So this is, it's all about sort of the new, new luxury sort of appeal to the mass market consumer. So this is a great one, highly recommended. And do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live by? Favorite mantra or quote, certainly the extra verb of the added touch. Another one might be, I think that your, your most authentic self is, is your best asset. And For so long, I think 
you know, you see other people who inspire you and you want to be like them, but really getting in touch with who you are and where you come from, your perspective, and that that matters, that you, you don't need to be covering anything, just putting yourself out there, that that is what, what people connect with and to really honor that as much as you can. I completely agree with you. I love that. Your authentic self is your best asset. Yeah. I'm writing that one down too. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give the entrepreneurista audience one essential business tip, what would it be? I think build something people love. I really think that creating a product that sparks joy and passion and that people become ravenous for, that is such a cool thing that that you can't go wrong there. So really focusing on that, that value prop, the product quality and something, getting that feedback from customers and constantly iterating on it, constantly going back to feedback. I think that is where great brands are made. And what are you grateful for every day? I'm grateful for many things from hot water in the shower to food on the table and, and for Sayed and our company. I'm grateful for our customers. I'm grateful for, I think about my mom all the time. So my parents passed away actually the year that I started Otherland, the year that we launched. My mom had ocular melanoma and she worked until six months before she died. She was the chief development officer of McLean Hospital, Harvard Psychiatric Teaching Hospital. And she she just worked, worked, worked and she was such a superstar and taught me so much about everything from how to set a table to the extra verve of the added touch and, and how to, you know, be so driven and, and was always very supportive. So I think about her and how grateful I am for all of those lessons. And then my, my dad, he had Parkinson's disease and which is pretty advanced. And so he died a few months later, but yeah, just grateful for all the opportunities that they gave me and, and so forth. Thank you for sharing that. Lastly, what would you say being an entrepreneurista means to you? An entrepreneurista means really believing in yourself and your vision, that vision that you feel such deep conviction for that doesn't matter if somebody says there are a million candle brands, there's no need for another one, go find another job, which people literally said, it's finding that that belief within yourself that there is a reason for this product to come to market. You know, you've done your research, um, but but seeing that vision and making shit happen, putting it into progress and 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 executing on that. And so it's it's being an entrepreneurista is is all about that. And then I think being part of a community that's supportive as well and sharing that knowledge. Well, we are so glad that you were part of our community and took the time Thank to share you. your story and journey. And we can't wait to continue to follow you and stay in touch and see all of the incredible things that you are going to accomplish. Thank you so much again. Where can everyone find you, follow you, and of course, buy Otherland Candles for the holidays and beyond? Yes. So I'm. you can find me. I'm at Alphagale on Instagram. So Alphagale Otherland, we're Otherland Co., and then you can shop us at otherland.com and then also Sephora and Nordstrom. Thank you so much, Abigail. I'm Stephanie. I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Founders are always asking us, what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven-figure businesses? 
Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entrepreneurs League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneurista.com. That's entrepreneurista.com to get on the wait list.